0: Amen. Good morning. So is God working? Even when you don't see it, or even when you don't think you see it, God is always working. Thank you, Sister Terrell, thank you for um, leading us in that God is both present, and he is our peace, and he's working. Y'all, we need to continue to realize that when we are going through some dark days and some dark times, we need to realize that as we see um, the world uh, acting out and as we see folk here in our own country acting out, as we see people um, going to extreme ends to express their frustration or their hurt or their anger. We as the church need to be distinguished. We need to be the ones leading and showing the way. And please don't let us bring Jesus into our foolishness and lead the world to believe that he stands for our expressions of sin. He doesn't. At any time, not just now, at any time. See, I'm I'm saddened by what we've just seen. Just like with some of the expressions of what we saw this summer, I was saddened by what I've seen. But (laughs) I'm not surprised because sin will express itself in extreme ways. What I'm saddened by is when those that claim to know Christ and live in him participate and promote. That's the part because Jesus calls us to be different and to live differently. We are to be those that demonstrate and show the glory of God. He says that we are light in darkness. He says that we are the salt of of the earth, he talks about us being stars on the backdrop of a dark world. And I don't know about you, but the times that you see stars the best is when there is complete darkness around. As a matter of fact, if you want to see the brilliance, I remember this years ago as I was getting that diamond for the young lady that would be my wife. Now, I remember as I went into the store, had a friend of the ministry at that time, because I was on staff with crew, and um, he walked me into the room and he wanted to show me the different diamonds. And I noticed, and i never forget that. He wanted to show me the brilliance of the stone. And thankfully, I was able to replace that stone with something more later, but I'm glad that he was able to show me with his magnifying glass the brilliance of the stone that I was going to get. And... Um, but he sat it on the backdrop, and I know you'll notice this, of a black velvet piece of cloth. Why did he do that? Because the brightness of that stone would show best on the backdrop of complete darkness. You will see the light best when things are at its darkest. And I would say for you: when the scriptures tell us that that, that, that we shine as stars. In a dark world, he wants us to get that picture. Know how you stand in awe when you go out into the country and you look up and you see the stars in all their array. Look at the backdrop as well. Why do you see it so well and so bright? Because light shows extremely opposite and brilliant against darkness. Let's stop trying to blend in with darkness and stand out from it. Yes, I may condemn it, but how I best speak against it is to live opposite of it. I was disturbed, I was disturbed some as I looked on pictures from the Senate floor as they had laid siege to the building the thing that disturbed me most was one of the occupants who had broken the law and had gone in was holding the Christian flag. Really. That's probably what disturbed me even more was that you brought a representation or what we've used as a representation of Christ into your criminal activity. And that should not be saints. Saints. We can't. We represent the kingdom of God first. We represent Christ and his values and his kingdom values first. And so regardless of when and how we think things are not going right in this country, boy, it should remind you that this is not home. That this is not our kingdom. Yes, we live in it. We support it. God told the residents um, as they were in exile in the book of Jeremiah, he said, seek. In other words, he, he wanted them to seek the peace of the city. He said, seek it because as it prospers, so do you. And then, of course, he goes on to remind them, you're going to be here for a while, but I've not forgotten you. And it's the verse that is so widely misused because the context is not understood, Jeremiah 29 11, when he says, I know the plans that I have for you. The reason he said that was because they were going to go through years of exile, pain, and probably thinking, where is God in this ungodly environment? He said, I have plans for you, and it is not to destroy you. Although what is around you may look like it will destroy you. God says to his people, I know the plans I have for you. You may not know, I know. And I just need you to keep living and keep trusting. No, that's not the message for today. I just want us today to understand we need to stand out because of our stand for Christ. Today, six months ago, six, uh, six months in the future, it doesn't matter. We need to stand out for what God stands for let our hearts break for what his heart breaks for all of those things and let us proclaim the goodness and the greatness of Christ i'm going to pray for us this morning and for and just for our response in our heart but you know what one of the things that i want us to be able to focus on for, for this next month and we talk about the vision and and what we see but we are going to focus on the healthy church we're gonna spend the month of January right before and, and into February before we get into our next series that we're gonna be doing with our small groups, which will be gospel-centered outreach. Um, that will be our next series. But but right now we are going to spend on um, the next few weeks on the healthy church. What does the Bible give us as markers, marks of a healthy church? How do we know that we are on course? that we are down the right path, that, 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 that we are in the right direction as a healthy church according to the scriptures. Not according to man's standard, not according to American standard, not according to contemporary standards, but according to God's word, how do we know when we're healthy? We have that for our human body. We know when things are healthy and when things are not. They have markers and gauges. And and when you go in for your annual physical, which I hope all of you are doing, when you go in for your annual, there are certain markers that they gauge by. And if your levels are above this or below that, you will get consultation on how to either stay healthy because you are or get healthy because you're not. And the scriptures make it clear when it points out what the values of Christ are and especially for his church and what he has allowed his apostles to teach For as what is the church is to be, who they are to be, and how they are to live, we get markers that we can gauge ourselves if we're healthy healthy or not. And as we begin this new year and we look to reach out into our community, we don't want to reach out sick and end up infecting others with a poison and with a sickness or with a virus that may be growing in us. Oh no, we're not going to be perfect. That's okay. But we want to consistently demonstrate the values that Christ wants us to demonstrate. We will consistently live in the way that God wants us to live so that when people see us, they're not turned away in disgust. But they turn in devotion because of the delight that they see in the people of God as they demonstrate who Christ is by how they live as a healthy body. What would it look like for me to be a physical trainer? And I'm coming up to start my session, and I'm about, you know, and again, a physical trainer trying to get you in the shape. And I'm and, and I'm a hundred pounds overweight. I can't do half the exercises that I'm trying to tell you. I can't move in the way that I want you to move. I can't do the things that I'm trying to get you to do. If you even sign up for my course anymore, uh, you'd walk out. They were like that. You want to tell me how to get physically fit? Dude, when you do it first and you show me some sign, then I'll follow you. And yet we want the world come to Jesus, follow Christ. And they're going, like you, nah, no, I'm good. And so for us today, if we want this world to understand and embrace the Christ that we say we know and embrace, boy, we better demonstrate and we better live in a healthy manner. And I want us today, we're going to look at that first installment of the healthy church. And I'm going to look at the, its its early stages. Characteristics of the early church will be today. will be in the book of Acts. As we see as God birthed this church, and he has now, bled, died, and was resurrected, promised the Spirit, and, and, and now ascended into heaven. We will see what happened when these people that have embraced the finished work of Christ and who were empowered by his promised Holy Spirit and indwelt by the Spirit, what happened as a result in the early days of this gathering of people called the church? And that will give us the launching point for those next steps into what we do and how we gauge our lives. Can I ask you to stand with me as we pray? And again, as we pray, as you remember those that need our prayer, may you bring them before the Lord, even if we don't mention them, that's okay. Father, I thank you today for... Lord, for your love for us, even in our mess, even in our sin, even in our disobedience, even in our disillusionment, even in our misrepresenting you. Father, you are still faithful. Please forgive us. Lord, of how we like to mingle the world in with what you value and call it Christ. Father, we've seen over this last year how the body of Christ, Lord, has smeared your name in how we've behaved. I pray, God, that we would be examples, O Lord, of your holiness of your goodness, of your gospel, of your greatness, as we interact with our world, and more importantly, as we interact with one another. Father, we need you. Lord, we will mess this up and fail at every turn. Lord, if we don't allow you to help us. I pray right now for this nation specifically, Lord. Father, that you spare us from ourselves. Lord, we like to tout ourselves as a nation as godly, and yet the ungodliness that happens within it, oh God, is unimaginable. Lord, I pray that the believers would set the example, but I pray, Lord, that you would stay the tide of evil on all fronts in our nation. I pray, God, that these next two weeks, Lord, would be uneventful. I pray that this new administration, Lord, again, would carry out your will. Father, I pray that believers would constantly pray, Father, as we finish this administration and into the next, realizing that no administration will save us. But, Father, understanding that, Lord, we are to encourage people and our nation and our leaders, O oh God, to act and live godly, all of them. I pray, God, that we would be passionate about those things that you are passionate about. Father, that we would cry over those things that you cry over. Father, that we would live in ways, godly ways, oh God, that would demonstrate your greatness. We would take up causes, oh Lord, that you have taken up and do it with vigor and in holiness. Father, I pray that we would be bold as we interact with our world and address the sins that are before us. Help us to address our sins individually. Father, then our sins as a body, getting them right, and then address the sins of our world. I pray, God, that we would not stop until the day we leave this earth and head home. Father, help us to realize through all of this that this is not home, even though you have us here. Father, you made it clear that we are to be in the world. That means involved with it and active, not isolated from it, but not of it, is that we don't live by its standards. I pray that we would get busy, oh God, working as you are already working. Thank you for the song that was a reminder for us today you didn't stop working. Father, you want us to join in, and I pray that we would do that. Lord, as we start this series on the healthy church, I pray, God, that we would see ourselves wherever we are individually but corporately as a body, a local body here, and then also looking at the universal church. Father, I pray that you would help us to get it right, Fallen line, grow, mature, so that we can demonstrate who you are and your greatness. Help us, Lord, not to mix. Oh God, what the world has as a standard with what you have and think that we can call it you. Father, we need you. We are a mess without you. And I pray that you would help us. Father, I pray that you would help our leaders. Father, that you are squashed of foolishness. Lord, that you would help us to live peaceful lives. But we know, Father, that this world is headed for a bad end. And yet I pray that the church, oh God, would speak your good news. That there is salvation and that the kingdom of God will not die nor fall. Father, you said in Acts that you cause one nation to rise and another to fall. Lord, it is you. There is no human nation that will stand forever. And we've seen that in, the, in, in history, and it is still true today. But the kingdom of God will stand, and may those who have now entered it and proclaim it live in it and by its values. We surrender ourselves to you. Open our eyes as we hear your word. Help us, O Lord, to desire obedience and to be obedient. And by doing that, O God, we would live in in your approval according to your will. Thank you once again, Father. We commit ourselves to you in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. When we think about the church, and I've actually taken some of these um, um, terms or focus from a book that I'm still reading through. It's in it's an older, older book by a brother named Gene Getz, and it's the measure of a healthy church. And who did a really well exhaustive research into the church and what it means. There are three terms that the scriptures, the New Testament scriptures use um, concerning the church or the body of Christ. And when God called these people to himself, this ecclesia, we like to use that word a lot. It it is a word that just means an assembly or a congregation, but in the way that the New Testament writers used it was this group that would stand and represent Christ because of what he has done. But this gathering, this assembly of of people that have been saved by the finished work of Christ— is referred to in three ways predominantly throughout the scriptures. We see in the Gospels that they're referred to as disciples. As a matter of fact, that was a term that was used. It actually means learner. And we know that it was used not just of Jesus because John used it as well because folks talked about his disciples, those that were learning under him and from him. And then, of course, Jesus had disciples Yes, we hear of the 12 that were called out, but when you look at Scripture, when you look at the Gospels, they're actually talking about more than the 12, those that were learning under Jesus. You also hear brothers that is used. And we see that in the book of Acts and then throughout, starting in the book of Acts, that word Adelphoi which again is used and it means brothers but it wasn't just men it came to mean brothers and sisters or sometimes that word brethren were used and you see it throughout scripture but the idea was this of a unique family it was a unique term that was being used of believers now and so at first we see that uh, these were people who were following and learning under Christ And then once in Christ, they were referred to as a family because it would speak of their interactions that they were to have with each other. It would speak of how they were to relate. They were to relate like a family. This was a kind of new term for them because it wasn't referred to outside of your bloodline family. But here they brought it in within the body now of Christ to, to tell how we should live. The intimacy in our relationships would be as brothers and sisters, as family, as if we were blood, because we were brought into this family by blood. And then the other word and term that is used is saints, that word hagias, which means holy ones. And this was because of what Christ has done and because of people have embraced it, um, have embraced Christ, forgiven of their sins, and now they are in the family of God. God sees them as holy ones, even when you're disobedient. How do I know? Because when I look at the book of Corinthians and in 2 Corinthians, as he is dealing again with this group that was just off the rails, Paul refers to them in chapter 1, verse 2, as holy ones, saints. And sometimes even when you are acting hellish as a follower of Christ, God still sees you as one of his holy ones. That should humble all of us. You're not holy because of how, you know, something that you've done that you deserve to be holy You're holy because of what Christ has done. When he sees you, he sees you through the lens of Christ. And so when you are awful and when you are uh, disgruntled and when you are disillusioned and when we are just beside our little selves, we are still holy ones. And so here's the phrase that I'll use Quoting Gene Getz in it, he says, Clearly, the church is made up of people who are followers of Christ, disciples, who have deep relationships with one another, brethren, and who increasingly reflect who God is as they manifest the fruit of the Holy Spirit, holy ones. That is the church. And that is for us to remember the different facets of who we are. And I want us to let that sink in as we respond to our world and what we see around us. When I respond to what I see and what's going on and the injustices and the sin, I need to realize I need to respond first as a person who is a learner and following under a student of Mephetes, the word a, a, a student of Christ. Am I responding as one who was learning in Christ? Number two, how am I responding to others who are like learners and followers and disciples? Am I acting like a family? When I look at how the universal body of Christ, especially here in America, is behaving, that's not exactly what I see. Yes, I know in some families there is dysfunction enough that we treat our blood brothers and sisters with disdain. I know that. Sin does that. I've seen that. I've heard that. And in my life at times in sin, I've displayed probably some of that as well. But that is the result of sin. That is not how the family should act. Never forget forget my mother telling us, why are you fighting one another? You should be the closest people that you have in the world. She would say, we're a family. What are you doing? She would go, family doesn't do that. And so when I do that to you, it's either I don't think you're family or I have a dysfunctional view of family. But then I also realized that as I respond to my world, I need to respond as one who has been made and is seen as holy by God if that doesn't temper and humble you and temper your response, nothing will. And so am I healthy? Well, turn with me to the book of Acts. We're going to finish it off in our time that we have looking at how this group of early believers after being saved gloriously by Christ and now empowered and, and and now filled with and enabled by God's Holy Spirit. First, Acts 1.8, we know it's a very familiar verse, which is the promise that, we, um, that, that Christ gave them, and it was in response to a question. I'm going to back up to verse 6. When, when he says, so when they had come together, now Jesus had been risen from the dead. He is standing before them, at, and and these are eyewitnesses to now his resurrection. Christ has proven he is who he said he is. He is the Son of God. He is standing in front of them, no longer to die again because he died once for the sin of all. And so they ask him, so when they had come together, this were these first, eleven, the eleven. They asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the father has fixed by his own authority. In other words, that was a nice way of saying none, That ain't for you to know. None your business. That was his answer to that question. He says, but in contrast to not answering that, let me tell you what I am going to answer. But. You will receive power. See, you were worried about an earthly kingdom being set up. That's not important. I'm about to do something, but you will receive power. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Of course, as he said, I mean, after he said those things, he had arisen, he had Told them, don't leave until you receive this power. I, he didn't tell them how they were going to receive it. He just said, don't leave until you receive it. My question would have been, how do I know when I've received it? He probably would have been like, you'll know. You'll know, just like today. When you say, how do I know that I'm going? How do I know that I'm in Christ? How do I know that I've received Christ when I repent of my sins and I and I and I embrace Christ and and what He has done and I see Him as who the Scriptures say He is? How will I know that I'm a believer? God goes, you'll know. Every last one of you who have trusted Christ, no one has to convince you that you are gods. You know. And so then, of course, they stuck around, and then the Spirit, as promised, filled them, engulfed them, fell on them. They were were now filled with, never to be, unfilled again. They were filled with the Spirit of God. This was not a one-time event that, I mean, this, this kind of ongoing, you know, it, it was a once in which they were now empowered by, enabled by, and filled by, sealed by the Spirit of God, and they would constantly be, um, uh, they, would, they would constantly have to be filled or controlled by, which is what Ephesians talks about, being controlled by the Spirit of God. which the evidence of that is the fruit of the Spirit. How do I know that I am living in and by the Spirit? There's fruit associated with it. And so then, of course, this church began at that time after the filling. Peter stands up and gives this message to the group. And that day, 3,000 are added to the number there and then in chapter 2 which is where we're going to spend the rest of our time and after Peter finished and called them to repentance I mean, I mean after he had finished verse 37 he says now when they heard this they were cut to the heart conviction is real y'all And said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, is that word that we said again, what shall we do? And Peter said to them after hearing it, he gave the ultimate and only conclusion. And it wasn't, you know what, we need you to follow these set of, we need you to know. He just said, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the holy spirit why because it is the spirit's infilling and empowering that will enable you to live for Christ boom he says you will he says you will receive the gift of the holy spirit for the promise is for you and for your children and for all who who are far off that's you and I everyone whom the lord our god calls to himself and so when he says that he says it for them, or he says it to them, and he says it for all of us. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. I think that is a great thing for us to hear today. Save yourselves. Why? Because when you are in Christ and a part of the kingdom, you are not on the course of this crooked generation. Stop trying to to align yourself with this crooked generation, even American culture. We act like at times that this is the kingdom of God. It's not. And as much benefit as we have in living in America, it ain't the kingdom. Never was never will be and as I said in my prayer God says I call one nation to rise and another to fall that tells me that no nation sticks around in big power forever how do I know there's no Babylonian Empire today how do I know we can go on down the line with all the empires there's no Roman Empire oh Italy still is a, a still does exist, but there's no Roman Empire today. There's no Ottoman Empire today. I can go on down through history and even currently. I don't know what God will do down the line with this place. But if it's like anything else in history, at least, at least grand power-wise, we need to stop acting like it begins and ends with this nation. It begins and ends in Christ and his kingdom for the believer, period. And so he says to them, look, save yourself from this crooked generation. So those who received this word were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. I love that. 3,000 people were added to the body of Christ that day. Talking about an evangelistic crusade. Wow. And then it goes on just as if as regular conversation. And this way, where I want us to, the first thing that the early church did, number one that I just explained, I'm sorry, I almost missed that, got so excited. Number one is they proclaimed the gospel and people were added. Listen to what they did. What shall we do? Well, you know, you need to align yourself with this political party and you need to kind of think like this. It's any of that. What should we do after he proclaimed the history of how Christ was brought about? He went, through the, he went through the prophets and everyone and came up to Christ and said, it was the Christ who you crucified, and they were convicted and came to Christ. He said, what do we do? Repent. Be baptized, which is an outward identification with Christ, and that, that you would enter God's family. And then he told them how, with many other words, he bore witness to the truth of Christ. Not Now, notice, not to, a, not to a kingdom that would come on earth for them, because Christ squashed that when they asked it before they were filled. Lord, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel now? He was like, that's none of your business. But let me tell you what I'm going to do. Notice they never brought that back up again. There was no talk of the kingdom being restored to Israel on earth. Why? Because Jesus said that's not yours to concern yourself with, an earthly kingdom. It is the kingdom that has arrived, I mean, that is coming, but that has, um, but has not fully arrived yet. It is here and it is working, but it is working in our hearts and lives. The reign and dominion of Christ is in our hearts and one day will be totally seen externally. And yet, right now, he says, don't concern yourself with that earthly stuff. So when they said, what shall we do? Notice he didn't say, well, you know, you got to turn to Israel and you got mm-hmm. repent, be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. They did that, 3,000 of them at least. And they were added to the family. So the first thing that the early church did is that they proclaimed the gospel and saw people added. Notice it didn't say they added, because you and I, am, <laughs> let me just put it, we ain't adding, I just say we ain't adding a soul to the church. I know we like to say the doors to the church are open. They might be open, but you aren't bringing anyone in. You may lead a person to repentance and acceptance of Christ, but you aren't making anyone saved. So don't worry about that. Just lead them to Christ. Let him do the work. But the second thing they did is what we see next. The next three. And we can hit these pretty quickly. Verse 42 says, and they devoted themselves. So the early church, after being, <clears throat> after being gloriously saved by Christ, and then filled with and controlled by God's Holy Spirit. They proclaimed the good news of Christ and saw people come. There was fruit of that proclamation. But then the next thing they did is that they devoted themselves to some things. And that word devoted here is, it means that they have, that, that they persisted and they persevered in this area. When someone says you're devoted to something, you don't just give your little spare time to it. When you are devoted to something, you could be devoted to your music, devoted to your sports, devoted to your education, devoted to your career, devoted to your family, devoted to your. T- when someone says devoted um, as they describe you, they're not talking about haphazard involvement. It is a persistence and a persevering that they're talking about. So he says to them, I mean, so he says of them, and they were, and and they devoted themselves. Who are the they? Those that were added and the apostles. That's the they, the they that they just talked about. And they devoted themselves to, one, the apostles' teaching. Two, um, and the fellowship to the breaking of bread. That's Together, fellowship and the breaking of bread. That's how they fellowshiped intimately. And three, prayers. I'm going we'll look at that just real quick. So number one, they devoted themselves to the word, the apostles' teaching. See, they expected proper and good teaching so that they would obey it. Remember, when Jesus gave what we call the great Commission. It wasn't just proclaiming. He said in that go, when he said to go, it wasn't just proclaiming. He says also teaching them to obey everything I've told you. So part of the command, really, the command was not to get converts. The command was to make disciples, learners, Followers, students of. And when you're a student of, you are putting into practice what you are learning. That's the intent. So when there's a medical student, she's not just learning all the information. She puts it into practice. When there is a teacher who is learning all the information, he later puts it into practice. When there is anyone that is learning of something, they are always given an opportunity to put into practice what they're learning. And so he says, says, look, you are learners, but they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, which was the word of God. As a matter of fact, what we're reading is from the apostles. What we're studying is from the apostles. It is now the word of God. God spoke through what they wrote. And I love that that was first because that's the anchor. That's our grid. That's our instructions. If you are living by anything else other than God's word, you are veering off course, maybe even ever so slowly if it is not anchored in God's word. And that's why we teach God's word and we hold it high and we are serious about it. Why? Because the early church devoted themselves to it. After they were saved, they had a desire and a devotion to hear what God had to say about how they are to live. Is that you? Or is the word just kind of haphazard? "Eh, I just I, I don't really need it. are you devoted to it do you persist in it do you persevere in it they were devoted to the word secondly they were devoted to fellowship and breaking of bread and understand this too they could not meet and gather like this there were no places large enough like this for them to meet so they met in homes and they met and they fellowshiped and that that fellowship was that 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 relationship of like-minded people but not only that They broke bread, which means they did it intimately and they did it without this organized sort of institutionalized way. They were in people's homes. They were relaxed. They got close. I know we're in a pandemic, but we're still people that are to be in with folk, close with folk, sharing a meal with folk. He says they broke bread, the natural result of Christ changing their lives and filling them you know, said, one, that they wanted the word so they could live it, and two, they wanted to be around each other. And we have today, I had someone tell me once, I can't stand being around Christians. I'd rather be around sinners. I said to them, hey, look, look, I, I, you know what? I I think I kind of understand, you know, there may be some people that you don't like and may bother you, but if you if you prefer to be around ungodly more than godly, it says something about you. Now, maybe you mean the people that are proclaiming to be Christians aren't acting like it and I don't like being around that hypocrisy. Okay, just make sure you're not one of them. But the other side to it is, if you don't mean that, you might need to check if you really are a follower of Christ. You should desire to be around other believers who have a desire for Christ and his word. And so they fellowshiped on a regular basis, on a daily basis they were devoted to. And so here it was, the teaching that they received helped them to tear down the barriers that would keep them from fellowshipping with one another. The word of God was instructing them, and thus, good and accurate fellowship could happen. See, fellowship outside of the word of God is a little blind. It can't help you to deal with what we are seeing in our nation right now. It can't because then I like, I am on fellowship. Look, you know what? Uh, yeah, y'all just sit in your corner. I don't want to mess with y'all. The word of God teaches me and instructs me how I should behave when hard times come, how I should behave when we disagree, how I should behave when I don't understand what to do, especially with one another. God's word covers that. If I'm not in God's word, I won't know how to behave and I will go to my default setting. What is my default setting? Flesh. That's where I'll go. Default setting and mess it up. So then not only were they devoted to fellowship and they ate together, there was a sense of closeness. And then it says, lastly, they were devoted to prayers. I like that. And to the prayers, because there were prayers that they said together. There was focuses in that, the prayers, and, and there was all kinds of. Prayers of praise, prayers of adoration, prayers of intercession, prayers of request. But they were a praying church. And notice, they didn't say there were a few of us that got together to pray, because that's typically what happens in our day-to-day. When there's corporate prayer, you would go, yeah, this is about the minimum for what we can consider corporate. You don't find anyone. And we think it's for the select holy few. Remember, all of us are referred to as holy ones. So there is no select holy few. And, you know, so in the early church, one of the markers after they had been gloriously saved... And so the word of God, fellowship, they were a church that prayed together. They prayed. That was intentional. They persisted in it. They devoted themselves to it. Those are early markers right now for us to gauge in our life, not to feel guilty, but to see where we're falling in line or where we're out of line. But then something happened after they did that, and this is where we get ready to close. He says, listen, listen to what he says, and all came upon every soul, hmm. that verse came after, it talks about what they did, and all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, now understand it, and focus on that <laughs> descriptor there, many signs and wonders were being done by the apostles, it didn't say by everyone, Why? Because at that particular time, how God was reinforcing that this word that was being taught and what you see being done, that it was from God is 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 that God had attesting signs behind it. So they knew that what was happening was from God when they saw it, when they heard it and they saw the signs, they were like, oh, we remember this. When they go back to the Old Testament teaching, they see God, um, um, God came and he. And he attested to that he was in the room because of the signs that followed. And so when they started doing these miraculous signs, it just just wasn't for miraculous signs sake so that y'all could be impressed. Ooh, he did a sign. Do another trick. No, this was so that they would know that God is working. And so the signs pointed to God at work. And so they knew that God was working, and they knew that God was in the midst of this. And 44 says, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. Now, again, this was not some sort of commune. Here's understand at that time, because of the work that God was doing in their hearts, they wanted to share with each other. But then the next thing that we see that they did is that it says, and they were selling their possessions and belongings, and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. This wasn't just come bring your stuff. You a Christian? What's, what's yours is mine. Just go on and bring it. Come on. We all Christians, aren't we? No, he said, here's what they did. That next thing they did is that they met needs. Since God had changed their lives, since they were devoted to the word, since they were devoted to one another in fellowship, and since they were devoted to praying one another. The natural progression is they were committed to meeting each other's needs. And notice in that order. See, today we try and um, browbeat you into meeting people's needs and your heart's not right. You have no instruction. You have no kind of prayer life, but I want you to meet some needs and I'm wondering why you kind of feel in a certain kind of way about meeting your brother's needs. is because you're not in the right position. You don't understand enough to know that I can meet this need and not feel like, well, you know, what is he going to do? Is he going to repay me? God says if you're praying, if you're devoting to the word, if you're in fellowship and you're praying, Together, you ain't going to have a problem meeting that person's need. So they had no problem selling something that got them the funds to help you. Because I was in fellowship with you. I was close with you. I was praying with you. So of course I'm going to meet your need. And so this is not a directive for us to go and sell all our property and bring it. That's not what this is for. It is showing us a progression of behavior Based on first salvation, the word, and everything that comes after. And so this was a church. They met physical needs because of their previous devotion. I put here, when your heart is right, giving is genuine, and giving is the right thing to do at the right time. It says, as any had need. And then lastly, and Day by day, verse 46, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with gladness and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And listen to what this says. That last thing is that there was gratitude and contentment. Then we see others coming to Christ because of that. Can you imagine this kind of community? back in that time, it stood out. And people were like, who is this group? And you started sharing the gospel and bringing them in to the teaching of the word and fellowshipping with them and devoting the prayer. It says that they went day by day doing this. This was a daily thing for this group and that they were fellowshipping and that they were content to, and now it doesn't mean that it had the absence of sin because we see that comes in later. But this was the standard for how the early church operated. It gives us here, it gives us some basic foundations as to what we should be seeing if we truly have been born from in Christ and have been saved and are living under the word of God gratitude and contentment and then the lord and see people were coming and being added to the group to the church daily but they didn't think they they didn't think for one minute it was them they knew it was the lord it says and the lord was adding those who were being saved why because this was the environment This was the climate, this was the context that God had desired, and he was adding people to that. Why aren't people being added to the church yet? Hmm, Maybe the context isn't right. Maybe the environment is unhealthy and dysfunctional. And we saw later where there was dysfunction that attempted to be brought into it. Ananias and Sapphira tempted to lie Further on down, we see, and tempted to deceive and to manipulate, and God says, not here. As a matter of fact, we go, well, why didn't God give a little grace? He said he did. He didn't want the body to be infected, so he quickly got rid of the attempted virus. Them two people that dropped dead in the sanctuary, boy, that would have, uh, you talking about scared straight? Folk would have been like, hmm, let me check my intentions. And so I see here today questions for us as we end this. We realize that in the early days of the church, number one, they... They proclaimed the gospel, and people were added. Number two, they were devoted to the word. Number three, they were devoted to fellowship. Number four, they were devoted to prayers, all kinds. But then those last two, we see as a result that they were meeting physical needs because of the devotion. And lastly, that they lived with gratitude and contentment. Some of us are wanting to live with gratitude and contentment, but we want to skip all the other things beforehand. You can't. Your heart is not naturally grateful, and we are not naturally content outside of Christ. Start at the beginning, you'll get to the end. So my question is for us, what are we devoted to? As a corporate, but what are we devoted to? Is it the Word? Is it fellowship? Even though I know we can't connect physically, are we still... Devoted to one another and to keeping in relationship? Are we devoted to praying corporately as well as individually? If you are, why? What has motivated you to do that? If you're not, why not? And let me ask you, what are the results of what you are devoted to? What are you seeing as the results of your devotion? See, the results of their devotion here meant um, greater relationships to where I will meet any need you have by any means I can accomplish. I'm going to meet that need, even if it means sacrifice for me, because I love you. I'm in fellowship with you. I'm in relationship with you. And if I can't do it, I'm going to get somebody to help me to do it, because we're going to do it. But then also, I'm going to be grateful over what we've done. I'm going to live day by day, daily in gratitude and contentment. Thankful for what God has provided. Thankful for what I have. Yes, I Lord, I would love for you to provide more, but I am content. I'm okay with what you've given because of my devotion. And then I have to ask, lastly, who is guiding you? Who is guiding us? See, the early church gave us a good example, and that's just the first part. And and we'll get, as we continue through this and looking into the book of Ephesians, we'll see how the the church was to be instructed. We will not be able to do an in-detail study through Ephesians because that's going to take some big time. But we will give this nice overhead view and to look down and to see what, 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 What the Apostle Paul was instructing the people in Ephesus, a group of believers, this church in one of the most ungodly places, one of the most secular, one of the most sensual places that you could live, and yet the expectation was for the church to flourish in all facets. I love that God chose that context to instruct his church. Because we'll say, oh, you can't live for God in this godless environment. We need to hide and we need to huddle together and, and we need to just wait. Come, Lord Jesus. God says, get out your huddle and live. The gospel is not weak. Christ is strong and can hold you in any environment. If he can birth a church in Corinth and in Ephesus, he can birth it in Indianapolis. He could sustain it in any city. He could, Look, he could sustain it in San Francisco, New York, Chicago, uh, you you name the city or even the small town, he could sustain it anywhere. The issue for us is, are we going to be his church? Or are we gonna succumb to what we see in our society? It's clear for us and the power is available to us. It's just up to us to decide if we're going to be healthy or not. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that you and you alone, oh God, are the one, oh Lord, that gives us strength and power. Father, the reason we are even here corporately is because of what you have done and your work on the cross. We thank you, Father, for the example of the early church, for their desire and their proclamation of, of the gospel, Lord, for their devotion, O oh God, to the word, to fellowship, and to prayers. We thank you, Lord, that as a result, that they wanted to meet needs at whatever the cost, and they were grateful, and they were content with what you had given and were doing. Thank you for that. Father, may that be us as an example because of what Christ has done, not because our environment is easy, not because we have a nice huddle or a nice club, but because you are empowering us daily by your spirit. Lord, I pray that we would be people that as the world sees it, oh God, they will want to be added to what we're doing and how we're living because it is so different from the world that they live in. Let us not succumb to the pull of this world so that we can be accepted and approved by them. Let us stand in Christ. Father, just again, our hearts meshing with yours, our desires meshing with yours, so that your kingdom, oh God, is growing on earth. Not being concerned with an earthly kingdom, that is not our business. But what is our business is with the power that we received is to be witnesses for Christ. We ask you to help us and strengthen us. If there's any here, oh God, or who are listening that do not know you, I pray, oh God, that you would help them today. Like those that in Acts, that after hearing and after being convicted, they would come to you and be added to the family of God. We ask you this in Christ's name, amen. So this morning, if you are here or you are listening or watching and you've You're saying, wow, that that sounds so different from where I am. That sounds so different from my experience. It can be yours today. By simply like those back in the book of Acts, acknowledging from what you heard, you ask, what shall we do? What shall I do? And like Peter, I will tell you, realize that you are a sinner and thus repent of that sin to God knowing that Christ is the one who was sent to forgive you of those sins and by repenting you can receive that Christ. And yes, as you are able to mean and and yes, next to be baptized, identifying with Christ, but that is not a requirement of your salvation. That's an identification of your salvation. But coming to him and by coming to him you are added, to the family by God. I can't add you to anything. Oh, yeah, I can add you to our roles, but that don't mean anything. But when God adds you to his family, it means everything. And so for you today, if that's you, please just write where you are, just do that. If you have, can you let us know? For those that are watching, there's some information that'll be there at the end of the program that you can actually uh, write us and let us know. We would love to connect with or connect with someone you know that is walking with Christ. But please do that today. And this morning for us here, I just pray that we are encouraged, and those are watching, that we are encouraged to continue to live for God. God's plan and God's kingdom will continue and will grow, even when everything around us crumbles. And I've said before, everything that we can set our eyes on out in this world is temporary. But the kingdom of God will live forever. And so will us. Remember, everyone will live forever. Just where are you going to live forever? With God or without him? And so for us today, be encouraged. Be a light. Be the church. Amen. I'm going to ready to hand us back over. But um, just a real quick announcement for us. Um, you're going to see in, in um, text and email mo- more information about this I. S- shared earlier that working with crew that we are going to be involved in a way to help our community um and so we will be on february 6th joining with faith church and with crew here in indianapolis to distribute combine between our three locations because we're working with the newcomer school 300 boxes 200 will be responsible for that'll help Um, those that are in physical need um, with these boxes that will feed on average a family of six. And so we will have distribution here on our lot. There will also be distribution at the newcomer school and there will be distribution at Faith Church um, as well, our sister church. And so those, those three locations on the same day at the same time, but we're backing it up. We have to pack those boxes and prepare them and get them ready and so we are doing a preparation a packing party now I don't think party is wild face mask off and we all up in everyone's face that's not what it is but it is this gathering in a socially distant manner so that we can pack these boxes we're responsible for packing 200 I say we mean us crew and the newcomer school so here's what we need we need 15 people from Solid Word and we have to set that at 15 because we for socially distancing Um, requirements we are setting that number at 50 15 from each location us crew and the newcomer school and then with the leadership of the group um, there are five of us and so that rounds out to 50 on that day newcomer school is 34th and high school road they meet within the building of the old northwest high school that's where it is and for those that know and we'll be meeting there. I will be giving times this week and, next, and, and this week by text and next week in church as to the exact times. It'll either be um, um, 10 to 2, I'm sorry, 11 to 10 to noon or 2 to 4. We're not sure yet which time we'll have at our location, but it will be at the newcomer school because they have a huge gym in which we can spread out and that, and that each individual can pack their own box as you go down an assembly line is how it will work. And that way there's not much interaction. We'll pack those boxes. They will keep 100. We will bring 100 here back to Solid Word and to distribute as we get need from the two schools across the street as we work with their social workers, the clinic here, and even our church and fellowship. And so this is a time, and we will have opportunity as well to possibly share with folk as we give out because we will have prayer stations at each location. Yes, the school has allowed us to do that. We have to make it optional, and we will. People don't have to, but if they want to, as they receive their box to go back to their car, they will have an opportunity for someone to pray with them and possibly share with them in a distant manner. And so with that in mind, I just want us again to be able to sign up. We will give you ways to sign up. Our sister, Bonnie Strong, is our coordinator here for Solid Word and working with Newcomer School, and we will get those names. Once we get to 15, we will have to cut it off. But let me just say, don't everyone go, oh, someone else will do it, and then no one does it. If you write in and we've met that number, that's okay on February 6th. We will need much more people, and you'll hear more about that later as we distribute and we pray. But just for packing, we need 15 from Solid Word that will be able to go over and to help them pack. Um, I'm not included in that 15 because I'm in the leadership group, so I'm in that extra five. And so we'll need 15 other than me um, um, on that. So great opportunity for us to be able to demonstrate not only the compassion of Christ, but possibly get some great gospel interactions as well, which is what we want um, on the packing day and on the distribution day. So again, um, if you can fit in here, great. Um, let's, let's, let the Lord use us. Let's be the church that God has called us to be. Remember this week, pray for someone, fellowship with someone. Um, um, hear God's word. Devote yourself to what the early church devoted themselves to. And watch God work in your life. Amen. Father, as we leave, I pray that you would strengthen us and that you would help us, that you would go with us, and that you would remind us of what you have told us. We ask you this in Christ's name. Amen. You're in the hands of our show. Thank you. Outside. We're going to go ahead and gather our belongings. We're going to stand. My left two sections are going to follow the directions of um, Deacon Patterson in the back. And I have the pleasure of dismissing uh, these two sections, starting with Miss Lynette. Lynette, you can sit right there.